1: What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing, but wonderful thing we call
0: the world. Hello and welcome to What Should I Think About. I'm Stephen and uh, there's no Celine today. Celine's literally just moved house and she's moved into a place with, yeah, can you believe it? No Wi-Fi. So yeah, it's like out in the middle of nowhere. It might as well be a wilderness. So um, yeah, she's not with us today, but she'll be back shortly. Anyway, I'm very happy because I'm not on my own. I've got two fantastic guests today. Um, so I'd like to welcome uh, our guests. It's Lisa Kendall and Jake Giovati from the Countercult Coalition. Welcome, Lisa and Jake.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: You're more than welcome. Um, so I'll start with Lisa. I'll introduce you properly first. Um, Lisa Kendall grew up in the Move of God group, so I want to ask you a little bit about that um, from the ages of nine to 19. Um, she's the founder and director of the Counter Coalition um, and she has a master's in public administration from Portland State University. So thank you for joining us. I'm really interested in what you have to say today, Lisa, um, and Jake Giavati, um, you're from the University of Buffalo School of Law and you have a background in domestic violence prevention so uh, we want to talk a little bit about that and obviously how that might relate to cults or cultic groups. So very interesting in talking to you. Um, My first question is I suppose why your interest in cults, cultic groups, you know what is it that makes you interested in this subject so maybe we could start with you please uh, Lisa.
2: Um, well, I grew up in a cult. I did not recognize or realize I had grown up in a cult until about 10 years ago, which is very common for people. You know, when you grow up where everybody around you believes something. And yeah. um, having a master's in public administration, and honestly, be, I think partly because I was conceived through rape and I had a devastating childhood even prior to. My mother joining the call i feel like um i feel compelled to apply my knowledge and skills and talent to this there's so few people who have um we have a lot of contact pe- content people which are people who understand cults but not a lot of people who have some of the hard skills and so honestly a lot of it is i feel almost obligated to do this. And, you know, the connection between my childhood and having been conceived through rape, I guess I feel like, unlike a lot of people, um, God, I don't know how to put this because I know we live in a world where um, people think all life is precious. I don't really feel like my life is as precious as children who were wanted. And knowing that we'll all be dead someday And for me, what I leave behind is more important than how I experience my own life. Having said that, I've traveled through 22 countries and had every kind of lesson you can imagine. I go to the ballet and opera, uh, or not the opera, the ballet and theater um, every year, seeing every show. And I hike with friends and kayak and snowshoe, and I'm a scuba diver. You know, So I have a wonderful life, but at the same time, I really feel like um other people have you know well, honestly maybe more reason to be on the planet and so there's it's a very complex um motivation for me
0: wow that's um that is quite yeah quite a complex not what you
2: expected
0: not really at all no i guess the thing that screams to me that you're talking about there is legacy um and the feeling that you want to leave something behind um, that makes the world a better place in a way, and that's that you know you have some working knowledge and some understanding of what it's like to grow up in a in a group in my case you it, to... it's
2: not about leaving something attached to my name it's feeling sure. like I really want to provide um you know a template for other people to prevent abuse and cults and remedy yeah it.
0: yeah yeah, yeah, so which group were you a member of, Lisa?
2: The Sam Five's Move of God, which was active in 30 countries a couple of decades ago, it's currently active in 15 all across the United States and Canada. Even today, and I think it you know, illustrates how cults stay under the radar, that so few mm. people have heard of it when they've had plane crashes and the FBI investigations for kidnappings and lots of children who've died from medical neglect and from labor trafficking. And owning a sawmill and a hotel and a restaurant and you know on and on it's it's it just got its fingers out there everywhere. One of the former leaders, in fact, my favorite one, is in prison right now for high-level securities fraud. So we're in the paper all the oh. time, but people haven't heard of us.
0: I mean, that's a scandal itself, really, isn't it? And I'm I'm ashamed that I haven't heard of it really. Um, you know, and I'm I'm somebody that talks about this stuff quite a lot really so that's that's quite bizarre what what sort of group is it is it a christian pseudo-christian group or <laughs> what?
2: well like a lot of cults very bizarre when i was growing yeah. up i when i was nine i was told the world was going to end in five years sam fife was called by god to be the wife of god and birth the mini mini mam child which we were a part of so we were going out into the wilderness to hide from the government i grew up learning about how Someday checkouts would have something where you go through and you don't go through the checker like we do today. Infrared cameras where they'd be searching for us in the wilderness. So thousands of acres were purchased where lots of people I knew, the children I grew up with, moved out to these isolated farms in Alaska and Canada without electricity, without running water. They've since been modernized. Um, And, you know, pulling water from the river by horseback, I grew up with that being my culture, even though I didn't live there. At 17, yeah. I did move to one of the farms, not realizing it was basically a reform school. And so I was very, very tightly controlled and labor traffic from 17 to 19 when I left.
0: Wow, that's that's a really interesting story all of its own. Um, Lisa, we could spend a whole episode just talking about that, couldn't we? But, um... but
2: then we wouldn't get to the remedies
0: that's right okay so we must do that but i'm i'm fascinated by all of that thank you for sharing that with us um jake what's your interest in in this subject
1: absolutely uh, so uh, for me i kind of entered um kind of the the thought of changing policy uh working with the counter cult coalition for my work uh with domestic vi- uh, violence survivors uh and victims uh through the law school, I've, I've been interested in violence prevention for uh, probably about six or seven years now. Um, uh, you know, just trying to be an ally as a man, stepping up in, in the violence space and saying, um, you know, it's not tolerable, it, it's not okay. Um, and specifically, you know, we, we look at survivors of domestic violence as a particularly vulnerable part of the population. And there's kind of a, a growing recognition that. There's even more vulnerable offshoots uh, and, and branches from there. Um, specifically, our undocumented immigrant population here in, in America, and it's not a coincidence that these controlled cult communities also target those same individuals. Yeah. Um, so it, it really was just kind of looking at how these uh, these organizations, these groups, target people, and really they they apply the same course of control that. Uh, you know, an abuser in a domestic violence relationship, but they uh provide it at a community level, uh, uh, on a much larger scale, as opposed to just kind of the intimate household level, that uh, uh a lot of legal scholars and a lot of uh, well-meaning activists target with uh violence prevention and coercive control uh laws and uh, mechanics. So it's. It's just the same problem on a much larger scale. Um uh, of course, uh, from an outsider's perspective. Uh, uh I'm sure Lisa could could speak to some more nuance that's that's there.
0: Yeah, that that's that's interesting, isn't it? Um so we I, I've spoken to um some people who are particularly interested in coercive control within relationships, and what struck me with those conversations is how Very, very similar those processes are, Um, you know, things like love bombing in the first instance and um, then a kind of almost like a test to see the loyalty and and the gaslighting and all of those same sorts of behaviours that we see in uh, abusive relationships are mirrored in these cultic groups. But of course, they're systematised, aren't they, within these cultic groups? So I can, I can definitely see why you're interested in that area. Okay. That, that's really, really interesting. Thank you. Um, so obviously the, the cult, um, coalition or the counter cult coalition, um, has a, has a mission. What What's the mission of the counter cult coalition? What are you, what are you doing? What you, what are you here for?
2: The main thing for me is public policy and, um, one of the projects that Jake and I are planning to work on, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm hesitating because we've had so many requests and so much activity and so much going on <laughs> that we've had to put this off a little bit, but working on for a sure. public policy brief to provide you know, a template for how to better protect children in cults and then also how to provide for them when they leave in several other countries, in Australia, the UK, all across Europe, even China. By statute, there are requirements for protecting children and then also for providing them with therapy, medical care, sometimes even a specific cash allowance, like $7,500. I think that's in France. The US has nothing like that. Also looking at basic protections for children, requirements for um, educating children, They're pretty squishy here in the United States. You know, if we ratified the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which we're the only signer that has not ratified that in the entire world, if we ratified that convention, that alone would protect so many children in cults and provide ways to hold people accountable and ensure that children are educated, that they have leisure time, you know, and also you know, looking at their their autonomy and and the need for them to have appropriate medical care, all of that is covered in the Convention on the Rights of the Child. So there's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of examples for what we can do. Looking at what's
0: working um, around the world, an interesting area here is is why it's something I've written about personally as well. Why is it that Governments, authorities struggle with this question, um, struggle with the with how to deal with these high control groups and abusive groups and coercive groups.
2: I think part of it is that our country is so big, and that we've got so you know we're not as homogenous as some other countries. You know, look at France; there are cults that are illegal in France, not allowed to operate, that we have here, like the freemen. and um, you know, and they they're able to much more effectively deal with coercive control and exploitive groups, you know, and as they explain it, if you are coercing someone for the benefit of yourself or for the organization, that's against the law, that's not allowed. I think for us here, there's the the, um, concern about religious freedom and, you know, Christians sometimes feel attacked um, or persecuted if you, you know, uh, start talking about, you know, well, regardless of your religion, your child needs to get medical care if they have a life-threatening um, illness or injury. Even that is touchy here.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack have you got any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I would also say, you know, uh, it's not a secret that here in America, we have, you know, almost a uh, two and a half hundred year old document that we like to use as a it's a nice comfy blanket when it comes to anything legal <laughs> or, or policy based. And there's a sure. pretty uh, solid um, standing uh, and understanding in the Constitution that, you know, you have a right to raise your family how you want to raise your family. Um, and uh, I think we're actually seeing a pretty popular movement by certain political factions here uh, in in the United States, to demonize public school systems, mm. um, yes. and specifically what their their interests and what what their um, intent is in raising children uh, in the classroom certain ways, and that same line of thought runs along with what a lot of these leaders and a lot of these uh, people end up using to uh, protect themselves uh, from any kind of scrutiny when it comes to children in their organizations or. Um, putting up the same walls, uh, and it's it, it, the idea of homesteading, homeschooling, being able to uh, allow parents to educate and raise their children it, is actually a, a movement that's gaining even more steam now yeah. in America uh, with the kind of our modern political scope.
0: Yeah, I, I, I suppose. Um... Uh, as a as somebody from across the pond um looking at um the various different movements in america obviously it's something that that we're interested in um things like homeschooling is definitely seems to be increasing but then it it seems to be increasing in the uk too um real and i suppose yeah i suppose playing devil's advocate if i if i could for a moment um i i guess my my question or the 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 thing to address would be that so we we of course in the UK as far as i understand it have adopted um the un um human um rights of the child and so on um but we still have cults you know so i was raised in a group the group that i would consider a cult we still have um disfellowshipping which is essentially shunning of children and um others so we still have a lot of those abusive behaviors so um, having those statutes doesn't always mean better behavior by these groups so I guess that's that would be my challenge to some of what you've said I don't know what you think about that
2: that's interesting because um, I've had several people um, in the UK and Australia both say that and yes I think for me I so badly want to see us have those statutes to look to or to apply to a certain situation that um and and not being familiar with some of the abuse in groups in the UK and Australia but yeah I've heard that several times the frustration that you've got it on the books but it's not really being applied
0: yeah yeah um there's a I don't know whether you guys have, have heard of this term but it's um it's something that I that that I came across as I was doing my masters, and it's called Wicked Problems, Um, and it it comes from a, let me see, um, from 1967, which is very old, because that's the year I was born, Um, but somebody called C. West Churchman and Rittle um, introduced this idea of the wicked problem, and that was initially invented um, as an idea by people in public policy um, and looking at how to introduce policy in various areas and basically the idea of a wicked problem is that these problems are so difficult so intractable with so many different perspectives they kind of evade normal logic changing shape and nature depending on how you look at it and i just find this idea really interesting it feels to me like cults are the archetypal wicked problem you know they have Everything that you don't want to address as a politician, you know, religious freedom, personal individual liberty, uh, rights um, for for the child against rights of the parent to raise their children. It's like, why would you want to grab hold of this as a politician? You know, it's it's in the too difficult pile, isn't it?
2: Yes. And add to that the fact that the children and other vulnerable people in cults don't have money. They don't vote. Yes. You know, they, you know, so... Yes. There's no reason to address it.
0: Yes, it's yeah,
2: also
1: uh, such a tough mountain to to surmount, um, and uh, it, it would take a very brave politician because it, there's a chance that you're going to lose yes. in a court in a court of law uh, going against a cult, and there's nothing that hurts your reputation or your ability to look like you can win an election like losing. Period.
0: Yeah. And I guess, um, with that also comes all the vested interest groups that some of whom donate to political parties and we have the same problem in the UK. Um, you know, there's, there's very definite groups who vote, who, um, support financially different political parties. There's two in the UK, similar to three technically, but there's basically two that are likely to get into power. Um, same as the US and, and, um, yeah, it's very difficult, I think, for politicians to, um, to to find their way through it. So, but we want to—I suppose we want to be positive, don't we? So, um, you guys are from the the counter cult coalition. So, uh, what's your strategy for this? How how do you think we find our way through this?
2: Thank you for asking that. There actually have been instances of politicians who have come out really hard on this. Harry Reid, I think it was two thousand eight. In regard to the FLDS, he called the FLDS a criminal organization similar to the Mafia. They had hearings. He set money aside for women to go to court so that they could testify against the men and provided childcare and transportation for them to get there, formed committees. Then, you know, there are other examples of people stepping up when you're able to say, this is not a religion and you know in utah um one of the wonderful examples of what how public policy can make a difference is when they uh pass legislation to allow the people who were um helping keeping women or girls i guess it would have to be children in this case um, they do help women and girls but giving them three days before they have to tell the parents where the child is. I've never heard of it being a boy. I'm sure there are some boys who've left this way. But, you know, in most of the cases, it is a girl, usually 15 or 16, being required to marry an older uncle because they're, you know, since there's a lot of inbreeding, you might say, they're, you know, often marrying an uncle. So you've got, you know, a 15 year old girl who was refusing to marry and a much older man, so they run, and until this law was recently passed, you had to inform the parents, once the girl tried to leave and they knew that, sometimes the girl would never be seen from again, and I really mean that, Um, they would make sure she didn't have a chance to leave again, and by forcing them to get married, they're, you know, settling them down with children, where, you know, until just recently, the cult always kept the children, so the women didn't want to leave so you know it's just a, a really wicked problem as you say and so many girls have gone on to have education and control their own lives because of that one law you know where they have attorneys waiting to help them get emancipated they immediately get them to a safe house and then they help them establish their lives and go to school
0: yeah um so so you've raised the the issue there of the way that that particularly women, are treated in, in these groups, and I, I guess that's uh, that relates very closely to your work, Jake. From the outside, looking in, I think it, it looks a lot like slavery that, that we see with some of these cases. How do we get the law to see it um, for what it is, really? Um, obviously, the, the counter-arguments are all about religious freedom and the need um, to ensure that people have the right to believe how they want to. How do we counter that narrative?
1: Well, the, the first step is going to be allowing uh, and, and processing statutes and regulations, uh, supporting them specifically that yeah. uh, have a, a broad uh, understanding of what coercive control is um, yeah. and giving uh, survivors and members uh, standing in the courts so that they can actually be on the record in a courtroom establishing uh, for for how courts can deal with these situations and um, you know, not every state here in, in the U.S. has a coercive control statute. Um, New Jersey, uh, my one of my neighboring states, actually has a, a pretty fantastic criminal coercion uh, statute that is very broadly interpreted. It doesn't just focus on family. It doesn't just focus on the household. Um, it, it really kind of lets anyone come, come forward who is being coerced uh, for the benefit of someone else uh and even it maybe is it being blackmailed being persuaded or pressured one way or another uh to to do things against their will Um, and it's not just focused on the family it's focused it it can be used uh in in one of these situations uh and it it allows a cause of action uh for survivors of cults to, to come forward
0: so so how do you deal with the um the the other legal representative you know on the other side who's saying well look you know if we were to interfere with these sorts of situations particularly with families you know we'd we'd be constantly intervening with parents who are trying to um, help their children to find the right partner um, who are looking out for the best interests of their children they're too young to know what to do for themselves you know, we're, we're their parents. We know what's best for them. Um, and, um, and also wheeling in, um, people who have been through that process who then say, well, you know, when I was 16, I didn't know what was best for me, but it was the best thing I ever did was to marry my uncle Joe, who's 30 years older than me. You know, how, how do we get away from this, 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 um, the, these counter arguments?
2: I think for me, that's an easy one because there's a for for one thing in cults, it's often leaders who are dictating how children are raised, where they live. It's not always the parents and the parents are often unfit. And it's easy to determine that just from my own experience. And also, you know, looking at, you know, religious freedom. Looking at individual stories, I, I love what Jake said about having policies in place and legislation. Mm-hmm. And then I think you know, the more people share individual stories, the more people can understand it. In my case, I moved to Minnesota when I was seventeen because, you know, my my family was extremely dysfunctional. My mother very toxic. I had you know, and I wasn't living with her at the time. I was in the cult here in Portland. And I was adrift, I should have been in high school. I chose to go to Grand Marais, not knowing it was a basically a reform school for prob- rebellious kids. So when I got there at 17 and I had my intake meeting, which there was no questions about what I needed whatsoever, it was all just the rules. And I said, I've been working since I was 12, I really need a break. And I was told, no, you have to work. And so they set me up with a job, waitressing seven days a week, working in a motel two days a week. And I lived in a dorm with bunk beds, no freedom, crappy food. I was only allowed to shower once a week and had to buy all my own clothes, pay for my own medical care and dental. And they took away half of my salary. So if someone had explained to me, wouldn't you rather be in high school and have someone else paying for your medical and dental care and your glasses and for you to not have to work seven days a week, I would have said yes in a heartbeat. I didn't know it was an option. And so one piece of that is raising awareness among young people, whether they're under 18 or over 18, that they have human rights and that they have options. And there are ways to do that in part through social media.
0: That's really interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, obviously I've read a lot of these personal stories that you're talking about. Um, Lisa, and um, I'm so pleased to hear you say that, by the way, how important that is. I, I totally agree with you. The, the sharing of these personal stories is, is absolutely so important. Um, but traditionally, what the cults do, of course, is they separate these young people from those ways of being reached. Um, and that is often the real challenge, isn't it? How, how do we get to those young people? Plus the own interactions with the outside world for a lot of these young people, I guess, are troubled ones. So they might be seen as troublemakers and difficult and um, actually they're, they're just seen as kids who are, who are problems and, and need to be sent to some sort of correctional school. So I guess there's two, two areas there. One is how do we reach these kids who are behind closed walls and, and then how do we engage with them in a positive way?
2: I can tell you a lot of the young people in even isolated cults um, are online, whether it's covertly or not. Sometimes cults yeah. will have um, a teenager, with well, just from my experience, that's what I've seen, a teenager set up their Facebook accounts and, and other forms of communication, their listservs. And then that person will leave and continues to have the access to it because the cult, you know, they're they're just not super computer savvy. And so people are able to find out what's going on in the cult when they leave and outside of the cult while they're there.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I feel like we're getting, uh, I feel, I'm feeling quite good about this conversation. I feel like we're, we're we're getting some, um, some real, good pointers. So we're saying that first of all, we need strong policy that is ratified by legislation so that we've got something to hang on to. We need to have ways of contacting these young people in particular who are often raised in these groups. Uh, We also need to be sharing stories so that that the society understands actually what's happening. Uh, What else is important, do you think? Or is there anything?
2: Well, for me, um, I think collaboration among the various groups, sharing and promoting each other's projects. Right now, there's a major shift in our arena, which is really exciting. Um, You're seeing it across the board. If you look at the International Cultic Studies Association, their president of the last couple of years, Debbie Shriver, has done so much to update the policies and make sure that they're actually abiding by their bylaws and um, looking at updating all of the technology and their social media and having a softer approach and more inclusive um, Mm -hmm. of a a broader audience. There are so many things being done like the new survey out of the UK um, where they surveyed former cult members so informative there's the twelve hour podcast tomorrow that Casey, uh, and tomorrow being the twenty second, Casey of Cult Vault is doing. Uh, Tabby from the Freedom Project is uh, has just pioneered August as Cult Awareness Month. She also has a conference coming up in January, and you know our Chelsea Davis of Counter Cult Coalition. She's on our advisory board. She has a variety of projects um, and, and uh, events coming up. And for us to be more collaborative, part of my education uh, in for public administration was in public-private partnerships. And I think that's so important for the future since we really can't rely on government and nonprofits are just taxed, especially since COVID, that you know, working together in a mutually beneficial relationship with between business and nonprofit is one of the best ways I see right now to increase our effectiveness in solving society's problems. And what I mean by that, we've shifted the burden to business in so many ways, wanting donations and wanting, you know, gift certificates and sponsorships. And it's so important to then promote the businesses who are actually supporting the community, you know, putting, you know, voting with our pocketbooks. I think that's very important.
0: Hmm. What about you, uh, Jake, what do you think? Um, I think, uh, a
1: big, a big step for us outsiders is kind of shifting the, uh, uh, kind of our perception of cults from it Mm. being a story to being an experience. You know, we, um, I'm not alone in people who love to watch documentaries on, uh, uh, on cults and on controlled communities. Yeah. Uh, I, I made my connection with Lisa because I heard her interview on a, a podcast that v- uh, very often, uh, you know, is uh, putting uh, the stories about cults out there. Mm. Um, and it, it becomes kind of this uh, pop culture aspect uh, yeah. of people. I haven't experienced it, but we, we need to understand and respect that these are lived experiences that, mm. You know, people went through. They're not just stories. It's not a movie. It's not entertainment. It's it's re- it's someone else's reality. And it, if the circumstances were right, I, I think a lot of people uh, would like to think otherwise. But if the circumstances were something else, it's something that I could have been involved in, it's something that uh, you know, numerous uh, people in your listening population could could have absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. Um, I guess we've talked quite a lot on this podcast about the um, almost the two completely different experiences of people who join cults um, compared to those who are raised in cults. And, and another one of our contributors mentioned that there's probably a third group, which I guess in a way, Lisa, you belong to, where you, you join in a way as a, as a young person. Um, so there's kind of almost three separate experiences there um i was literally from the day i was born i was born into my group so i knew absolutely nothing else um oh. you have no choice in the matter you know you are you are raised and the word is inculcated which i always um because that's that's the bible word you know you're inculcated into this way of thinking and this way of believing so yeah and um, of course if you are raised in that then it doesn't matter who you are you're you're, for the first, certainly the first, you know, decade of your life, you're constantly being bombarded with that stuff. But then there's also other questions around, you know, how people get attracted to groups when they're older and um, and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's all very interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I think there is a lot of interesting cultic groups, but I think it's becoming more sophisticated now. Um, it used to be just almost like a true crime thing oh, look at these weirdos, you know, they believe in this and that. Um, but I think that's changing. I feel like it's changing. Certainly, it feels like our listeners are much more sophisticated than that. And actually, I'm interested in the psychological processes that that draw people and that keep people hemmed in, you know. So I'd like to think that that's getting better. As, as someone
1: looking in from the outside, yeah. the way, and I've brought this up to Lisa, the way I look at it is um, – you know, it's, it's from the outside looking in, it's like false, um, uh, like a, uh, false confession. You know, you, you, you sit there on the outside and you say like, uh, you know, how, how would this happen? Yeah. I would never confess to something I didn't (laughs) do. Well, the reality is when you're, there are different psychological aspects to it. It's not that cut and dry. And like you said, there's different ways that people experience it. It's, uh, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback or to to sit on the outside and, and think this or think that, but that's that's not the reality of what's actually happening.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess we need so we need those more stories um that are three dimensional, that are really um I think from the from the people themselves who've experienced it. Um Lisa, I don't know whether you've um I've been so excited by so many of, of the female authors who are writing about their experience. Um, um, I've just, um, read Ali Miller's book, who is an ex Jehovah's witness. She's been on the podcast before. Um, she's got a fantastic book just out called the last days. Um, another ex Jehovah's witness called, um, Kimberly Miller, no relation, um, has written a fantastic book. Erica Bornman, who you may know was a member of quasi Zabantu. Um, there seems to be all these women who were, you know, had to be in subjection in these groups. That's one of the things that often goes with these cults is the is the abuse of women. Um, I don't know what your feelings are about that, Lisa. Seeing this this fantastic movement that that we can read now about their lives.
2: Oh, it is amazing to me. I recently read Not Without My Sister by three former children from the Children of God. Uh, Celeste, Juliana, and Christina, excellent book. I'm just amazed by, um, as you see the, the books, the podcasts, and mm. the projects, and yeah. how many literal lives some of these groups have saved, where people were just at the end, and they swooped in and, and picked them up. It's just absolutely amazing. And the public policy, I, I'm really impressed with Celeste Jones, um, Casey. It's just amazing what people are doing. And it is interesting to me that there are so few books written by men who grew up in cults and also Mm -hmm. organizations founded by men. There's a woman in the U.S. whose name escapes me at the moment. She grew up in a more mainstream cult and um, she founded an organization to help women who are from cults, who grew up in cults, get an education. And they are totally comprehensive. It's just a wraparound project.
0: Yeah, it's it's so important that, isn't it? Um, I forgot to mention Mary Mahoney, who who is another Children of God um, uh, survivor. Um, the nor- normal abnormal, I think it's called. Um, definitely worth checking out that book too. Yeah, so I'm many. just wrote all of
2: those down. Thank you.
0: Yeah, honestly, you've you've got so much. Exciting stuff to read there. Um, just, just so so inspiring. I find it. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are an organization that are misogynist, in my view. Um, it, men are yes. leading the everything. Um, that the males in the family are little kings of their little domain, right. um, you know. And um, you know, if I hadn't have left, I definitely would have been one of those people. And um, it is quite chilling, actually, to think. Um that that's that's how we're raising certain what was the of people with me? <laughs> I was a Jehovah's witness,
2: oh, you were
0: yeah, um, I left about twenty five years ago when I was thirty, so um I was an adult with with a wife and child, um and it was my daughter really, who being a baby, she was just literally born, and I looked at her and i thought can i can I teach her this stuff because I'm not sure I believe it?' Um, but that's you know that it is so so hard to explain what that is like. I think it's so important for us to to tell those stories. Um, you, you you've got a lot of stuff on at the moment, guys. Um, Lisa, you telling me um, that you've got lots of um, so you, you're you're doing this twelve hour. So um, as you mentioned, as a recording, it's tomorrow. By the time this comes out, it will be history. Um, I don't know whether Casey is is recording it. Um, she may well record some of it. Um, but I Casey hope so. from the yeah, Kelsey from the K, the Cult Vault is doing a twelve hour marathon, and you're you're taking part. Tell us what your involvement is with that, Lisa.
2: Well, Chelsea Davis and I are going to be interviewed from three thirty to four thirty. We're going to be talking about compassionate lifestyles and the connection to cults healing from trauma and some of our projects and the need for um, people in the arena to promote and share each other's projects and collaboration and then whatever Casey wants us to talk about
0: (laughs) fantastic yeah we've uh, we've collaborated with Casey Um, it's great to see all these different people I really like your message of collaboration I think that's definitely where we where we need to be um so what, what else is coming up for you guys what what are you planning what's your what's your next moves
2: we have a picnic fundraiser um this weekend this probably will be in the you know, history <laughs> by the time this comes out sure. but it, um what we do at our events is um a game table and cult trivia Cult Trivia is very popular. So we have lots of gift certificates from local businesses for the winners of the Cult Trivia. And then we also have um, a raffle with prizes. Several businesses have donated food. You know, one local business, Realm Refillery. This is how cool, you know, the world is changing. There's a little store here that is totally sustainable where the paper bags are um, compostable. Almost nobody ever takes a bag. And they have, it's almost all bulk. So they're sponsoring our uh, sandwich bar. Then we have a painting class fundraiser October 8th in Portland. And um, that'll be $45. Again, everything donated. And so we're an all-volunteer board. We don't need a whole lot of money. A few hundred dollars here, a few hundred there. Pays the bills and allows us to keep doing what we're doing.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll put on a, a link to your website, um, Lisa and um, uh, Jake. And uh, if there's anything else you want me to, uh, you know, to, to point in, in the direction of our listeners, then um, obviously just tell me following this, um, this recording. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like um, you've, you've got a lot of stuff coming up. Um, th- there was another question I wanted to ask you, actually, which I'd, I've missed, um, so I hope you don't mind if I circle back and, and ask you about this. Um, one of the one of the things that, certainly as a Jehovah's Witness, um, the governing body and the elders would tell us about was persecution. Um, and watching a lot of the... Now and again, you'll see clips of fundamentalist, extremist Christians talk about some of their... Um, hopes of, of killing various different minorities and so on which is pretty chilling and horrific um, but the first thing they start doing is is um, claiming that you know they're being persecuted how do we get over this persecution narrative um, they will see this podcast they will see your work as persecution how do we counter that narrative would you say you
2: have any thoughts on that jake
1: that's a it's a particularly difficult one um you know it's uh it, it's kind of the the magic potion uh, yes. that's that that's kind of there the elixir that um any outside reach any kind of um you know uh external force is going to be uh whatever reason whatever help whatever yeah. um compassion logic however you choose to reach out to people within They're going to view it as, you know, a trial or a tribulation for them to overcome. And it may even further reinforce their, uh, you know, their stance within the organization. So uh, uh, again, uh, as as someone looking from the outside, um, really the the two things, just like in a domestic violence situation is, um, you know, patience and determination. You don't give up, you don't, if someone's resisting, if someone's, digging their heels in, um, you know, you just kind of take the time, um, still let them know that, uh, you know, you'll, you and your resources will be there yeah. if they change their mind. Not that, mm-hmm. not necessarily pushing harder to change their mind, but just, you know, reinforcing that you'll be there with open arms if, if someone needs it. I
2: would like to say, too, that it depends on if you're talking about a mainstream type of religion or, um, you know, uh, a more radical cult. The move of God is a lot more modern today. People wear pants, have televisions, I've heard. And yet from work that I did assisting in a custody case several years ago, um, people were preaching about me. Over the pulpit in Alaska. When I was growing up in Portland, I was always told, you'll never know who the Antichrist is. It'll be someone you'd never expect. And in 2008, in the move of God, they were preaching, Lisa Kendall is the Antichrist. <laughs> so, no, I didn't know who it would be. It was me. And in those cases, you know, I'm proud to have those people as my foe. I don't want their approval. And on the other hand, if you look at more mainstream groups, explaining to them what the coercion is like and the harm, I've found people don't feel like they're being persecuted. They understand that this is a problem. These are crimes being committed. And that it gives that people, Christians often say, oh, that gives us a bad name. That's not what the Bible is about. That's not what Christ does. And they're so offended by it that they often jump into help.
0: Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it is a particularly difficult one. It's, um, and of course, they have it both ways. So, um, so Jehovah's Witnesses would, on the one hand, say that you know um, we we need to expect persecution, and that that near the end, um, the love of the greater number will cool off. That that that's a um, a scripture in the Bible that they would use. So they would they would sort of anticipate that there would be problems like that. So this is what these groups do. They anticipate where the issues might lie and they spin it before it actually happens so that when it does, they can say, look, see, that's that's what we said was going to happen. But then on the other hand, they would say things like, you know, God is speeding up his preaching. Um, that's why we're getting more people in. So whether they're increasing or decreasing, whether they're, they have help from the governments or persecution, as they see it, it always... Um, to their mind, fulfills Bible prophecy, which is um, is quite frustrating. <laughs>
1: I can imagine that then, uh, at least for some people, kind of reinforces, um, you know, the the knowledge and the position of the person making that proclamation.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's one of the the areas. Um, I mean, for me, one of the things that I wonder whether I think we need to go after the leaders, but the the rank and file they are they are victims aren't they and and um you know for them we we want them to see that we're not their enemy um and so attacking their beliefs is probably not the right way to go but the practices that are harmful are the things that we're worried about so for me that's that's
2: oh absolutely never want to argue with their dogma or belief system yeah
0: absolutely yeah Cool. Um, right. Well, is there anything that I've missed? Because I've I've got everything on my list that I wanted to talk to you about.
2: I I was I'm remiss that I did not mention uh, Misty Griffin's projects. She is a uh, consultant on the documentary Sins of the Amish. She wrote a book that um, inspired the documentary, and she, Misty Griffin, and Celeste Jones and I are doing cult vault the podcast in October
0: fantastic oh well definitely look forward to that um we spoke to um an ex-member of the Amish um community some time ago it was absolutely fascinating again there's so many of these groups um that I think people know so little about really so um, yeah we look forward to to hearing you talk about that
2: oh the extent of the sorry for interrupting you the extent of the abuse in the Amish communities to me is absolutely astonishing, especially given the mythology surrounding them as peaceful, Mm. loving people. It doesn't fit with the extreme forms of child sexual abuse in some of their communities.
0: Yeah. I mean, you raised that, uh, which is actually an issue we, we probably should um, discuss. Um, It, what one of the things with, with these groups, I guess I guess they fall into two categories. One is that they're sometimes the leaders themselves are themselves paedophiles and actually are engaged in those practices. And then there's other groups which I personally would, would put Jehovah's Witnesses in, which is that it's not that they promote that, it's just that the the processes and the way of life is such that it, it provides a a safe haven for individuals to to exist in that space i don't know what your thoughts are on that
2: that is such a common phenomena yeah. and we find that the people who are still in specific groups will are in such denial they say well rape happens everywhere you can get raped on the job as if it's a common thing people who've left some cults like the move of god we had a real problem with that and it was just because everyone was so focused on the mission children were treated as adults it was so little concern for the children and even right now today in discussion groups people will say you know people who've left who don't want to feel like they wasted their life in the move um, are very defensive about the high rate of child sexual abuse
0: yeah it's a, it's a really important area and, and one that is again going back to my ex-group Jehovah's Witnesses are coming under quite a lot of close scrutiny in this area, um, too, um, because of some quite high profile cases and um, others that have not been high profile, but are being um, revealed, which I think is, is really important. So, yeah, yeah, that's very good. Thank you so much for, for coming on. What should I think about Lisa and Jake? It's been so interesting. Um, I really like your approach, which is different to so many people that I've talked to. You're, you're getting in at this base level. You're getting in the foundation, which is the policy that the governmental policies and legal structures that I think often get ignored by people like me, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, so important because without, without those, how do we have that recourse to justice?
2: I just want to thank both of you so very much. I love having Jake's perspective and insight and knowledge and background. You know, there's a common complaint in the arena that we have lots of contact people, content people who know about cults, but don't have like a Jake here yeah. bringing in legal expertise.
0: Jake, have you any closing thoughts before we before we go? Absolutely.
1: Um, thanks very much for, for having me uh, on here. And not just that, but um, again, as someone from the outside, not to be, you know, mushy (laughs) or, or, you know, uh, cliche here, but um, just sharing the space and sharing the stories of what uh, everyone's gone through. I know it's your life. It's not anything extraordinary to to you, but um, uh, from my position, uh, being welcomed in this community and the the acceptance and the support that I've gotten from Lisa has been fantastic. So I'm here to help and I appreciate the opportunity to do it. That's
0: well, fantastic. Thank you for your work. You know, I feel that it's really important to uh, we, we're we never going to solve this problem. If we only talk to each other, you know, we, we need, we need the expertise and the perspective of everybody um, to, to talk about this and to get involved. You know, we want more people to care about this stuff. We don't, only wanted to be ex-members so yeah it's brilliant that you're getting involved um and for me it's the battleground. so often isn't it it's the courtroom is where these changes happen so yeah the more people like you can do this work the the better um so yeah keep 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 it up <laughs>
1: we've got to get the door open you know yeah. we've we've got to we've got to do the work to give give you guys a room to to, to share your experiences
2: oh thank you so much for having us i is so important that we have smart podcasts like yours to you know raise awareness and um, bring communities together so thank you very much
1: what should i think about is an evil sheep production